Grace, peace, and mercy be to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord on this 10th Sunday after Pentecost. Amen. Here's something that's probably happened to you. You meet somebody for the first time. It could be a family member you, you've never met before or, or a first date, a coworker, a fellow student, and immediately you notice something about him or her you like. Admittedly, you don't know much about this person at this point because you've just met. But you take note and grab hold of some trait about this person. You know, uh, he seems very well-spoken. She seems very devoted to her work. He's got a great sense of humor. She's very kind. That sort of thing. When you speak about this person you've just met to someone else, That's how you describe him or her. Yesterday I met so-and-so. I liked him. He's fun to be around. That's how things often begin in a relationship. You're completely aware, though, there's more to this person than what you picked up in your first encounter. But in the beginning, it's that one characteristic that defines the person for you. Now, it can go the other way, can't it? Maybe you met someone for the first time and it isn't their best moment. Could be bad timing and unfortunately you make a quick condemnation and you come away with a negative first impression. Now what happens next? Well, if you invest yourself enough in that person, you'll find he or she is more than the one description you formulated at first. You know, maybe a situation occurs and something more is revealed. You know, maybe a person you described to yourself as scatterbrained demonstrated a real ability to bear down and solve a complex problem. Or maybe someone you thought at first was as cold as ice emotionally showed that they really do have feelings. Maybe someone you believed was funny and lighthearted all the time was actually hurting inside, and the humor on the outside was just to cover it up. In moments like those, you've got a couple of options. You know, you could keep that person at arm's length because, well, you know, you were more comfortable with your initial assessment. Or you could accept the fact that no person on earth is so easily defined. Don't you think sometime in our childhood, at some point when we were growing up, You know, we begin to understand, by and large, that other people aren't exactly like you. And by adulthood, you know, if you haven't figured out that other people's goal in life is not to fit your little list of attributes and to fulfill whatever whatever your expectations are, well, then you're going to have problems navigating this life. You know, we learn early on our friends and family fail people sometimes. They fail us. And don't we do the same with Jesus? We defined him quickly when we first met him. If you met him for the first time as a little child, well, what's the first thing we teach kids about Jesus? Yeah, well, we're getting to that. He's our friend, right? Jesus is our friend. Jesus is friendly. That might be your first takeaway. But what if you meet Jesus for the first time later on in life. You might grab onto something like, Jesus loves me, okay? He's loving. 
He heals. He's compassionate. He forgives. He's merciful. As the relationship continues, however, we learn more and sometimes we're frustrated or confused when Jesus is more than what we came away with at our first encounter with him. A colleague of mine once told me he had a parishioner who said Jesus was a happy guy who had fun at parties. And this man insisted that they should have artwork in the church showing Jesus laughing and having a good time. Now, I don't remember in what context this conversation came up. I just remember thinking to myself, wow, how unfortunate it is that this person wants to erase any pictures of Jesus that which doesn't fit his need to be happy. You know, although the gospel writers don't clue us in much about Jesus' everyday feelings and emotions, we can pretty well assume he did enjoy certain occasions, you know, such as the wedding at Cana. Nothing in that narrative indicates he was gloomy or bad-tempered that day. Another time, he seemed, Jesus seemed to be having a little fun with Peter when he told him to go fish in the lake, and the first fish he catches, he'll pull a coin out of its mouth so he can pay the temple tax for both of them. But as much as Jesus may have had fun, he's also a man of sorrows, isn't he? He weeps outside Lazarus' tomb. He laments over Jerusalem, you know, that its, an, it, its inhabitants are completely lost. And we know Jesus to be ill-tempered at times. You know, we know about his major blow-up in the temple with the money changers. And he gets downright accusatory and inflammatory with the Pharisees. And he gets rather terse sometimes with his disciples too. Not to mention his odd behavior with people he heals and some things he says to people that just don't seem, yeah, there's just something about it. They don't seem nice or they're a little confusing and they just don't seem what, they don't seem like what we would say to someone. You see, the more you get to know Jesus Christ, the more you begin to realize that he isn't a one-dimensional cardboard-like character with no depth and no complexity. And if you've been following along and listening, listening to Matthew these past few Sundays, then you may be more in tune with this reality. His cousin John the Baptist may not have been in tune with Jesus' complexity either. Even though John realized that his whole life had been given to him by God for the purpose of preparing people's hearts for the Messiah and for the kingdom of God, he was confused by Jesus to the point that he sent a few of the disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one we've been waiting for or should we be waiting for someone else? Apparently, John's expectations of his cousin didn't match up with his reality, or at least from what he was hearing about Jesus and the things that Jesus was doing and saying. Now, many gathered to see and hear, to see Jesus and hear him speak, right? And he regularly defied their expectations. People traveled miles on foot to hear him, and sometimes they walked away, scratching their heads, less than satisfied. Look what, look at, look, look what happens when he goes to Nazareth, his hometown. 
The gospel writers don't mention anything about a welcome home banner, a parade, so much as a barbecue in his mom's backyard. Instead, they think he's gone out of his mind. He's mocked and sent packing. Now, he healed a few people in the town, nonetheless, because he has compassion on the diseased. He touches the untouchables, and he hears the voice of the voiceless. And later on in Galilee, he'll give up private time with his close friends to feed thousands of strangers, all unexpected. Not to mention, again, what happens just before our reading today. He walks on the lake, right? One of the most famous things Jesus does besides dying on the cross. You know, even your most casual, not knowing anything about Jesus person has heard something about him walking on water. You know, it's even an everyday figure of speech for some of us. Oh, he's so important. You know, this, my boss is so important or revered. You know, he walks on water. But Jesus does something else amazing. He heals with his very presence. People need only touch the fringe of his garment and they are healed. What power? I mean, does it just radiate from his body or is it faith in him which accomplishes the healing? I think it could be the faith more. You know. Up to this point, Matthew has shown that Jesus lays his hands on people to heal them, but in this case, it's an unexpected miracle. Jesus is no longer just the one who heals with a touch. He's no longer just the one who restrains his strength and power and gets kicked out of his hometown. He's no longer just the one who teaches and feeds thousands with meager provisions. Now he seems to bend nature itself to meet the needs of others. Now why am I recounting all these things you've already heard? Because Jesus is tough to get your hands on sometimes. He's more complex than someone who makes perfect sense to us. He doesn't fit into nice, neat categories that we like to do with other people. He's hard to label unless you confess in faith that he's unique, the only son of God. And though we can't quite grasp him sometimes, he's certainly got a hold of you and me. Now we see him sometimes lifting children into the air in his arms, sometimes dragging his disciples into a boat and always holding on to us. And he will pull you along by the hand long enough to take you to a place with a tremendous view of what waits ahead for us in eternity. It also means remarkable complication because he'll take you to the cross where beauty looks awful to us, let alone The cross causes us to confront the reason he went there in the first place. To pay the full punishment from God the Father for our sin. So that we would not suffer the consequences of condemnation and eternal death for our sin. And when you disbelieve and struggle, maybe even embark on a little rebellion and disassociate yourself from God's people, he'll reach out his hand once again. 
strong and wounded with the marks of death that should be yours. And he'll create faith in you to say, Jesus is the Son of God, and he is for me. Not me, you know, only you, right? And all people. And though we don't quite understand him all the time, especially if you read your Bible and you come across the things he says about sin and immorality, and it doesn't square with what you've come to believe from this fallen world, his power and authority as God is still worth taking hold of and believing. And his path is worth following because, well, what are the, what, what's the alternative? You know, Jesus doesn't give one. He says he is the way. Believe in him. Believe what he says. Like his mother said to the table servers at the wedding at Cana, do what he tells you. <laughs> Which sounds like law, but more clearly understood in the bigger picture of who he is and what he does means trust him and walk with him. He knows what he's doing. He has your best interests at heart and he has your hand. I hope this helps to simply guide us toward truth and in truth. Let Jesus guide us home, avoiding some nasty slips along the way because his healing touch is both gentle and strong. In his grip, you and I know the price he paid to have us be with him forever on a new earth. His hands bear the scars of love, the price of forgiveness. He's crucified and living, and he is for you and me. Amen. And may his peace, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.